0: Good morning, let's dive in. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. First of all, I appreciate it. Another guestless week. Uh, I did just do a appearance on the Wheel- Wednesdays with Wheels podcast, and he sent me that file. I may use that as an upcoming podcast. I do have a couple of scheduled uh, appointments for podcast guests coming up, though. I keep mentioning Emily King, TikToker, gone, uh, famous TikToker from Rochester. I am interviewing her on Thursday, August 11th, which means really good chance I'll put that out just basically right away, That Sunday the 14th. As for next Sunday, uh, I actually this week am heading to a podcast at the CrossFit studio where my friend Lauren Henry works out, and uh, Nova Fitness it's called, and looking forward to talking to those guys there to hear more about CrossFit and kind of... Funny, a guy that looks like me walking into a CrossFit studio, but it is what it is. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the interview. They said he'll talk about anything. It's not going to be an hour on CrossFit. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. You know, <laughs> find find ways to uh, to broaden the conversation. I actually think it's a dual in that case, dual podcast. I'm doing theirs and they're doing mine, perhaps simultaneously, and we're going to both air them. And do you air podcasts though? I don't think. You, I think you post a podcast, publish. That's what you do, you publish a podcast. Anyway, it is Sunday morning, I'm sitting out in my overgrown backyard, I will, it is, what is it, 7.30 right now, yeah, we'll podcast 20 minutes or so, I'll run upstairs, publish this podcast, and then I'm going to head back down, and boy oh boy, like a dad on a Sunday morning in summer, I will fire that lawnmower up the second it's legal, 8 o'clock a.m., <laughs> second I'm allowed to start making noise. That thing will get fired up. I got to weed my garden. Oh, my garden's starting to look good, man. I got tomatoes growing. My peppers are coming in good. My basil is beautiful. <laughs> We're going to talk about food a little bit, too, on this podcast today. Before we get to food, though, because I do have people coming over for breakfast this morning. That's another thing. I got a lot going on today. Brunch, kind of, more than breakfast. but um, I wanted to tell you what I did Friday night, and then we'll get into some serious topics later, too. But uh, just real quick review of Friday night. I left work middle of the afternoon on Friday and drove straight down to Chautauqua Lake where I stayed with my parents for one night only and watched Jay Leno do stand-up comedy at the Chautauqua Institute. First of all, I think everybody knows of Chautauqua Lake, but does everybody understand what Chautauqua Institute is? So I've been there a handful of times now and it's still every time I'm there I look around and I go, this place is really cool. You know, it's it's so different. It's just such a thing. Chautauqua Institute, if you don't know, is this gated community uh, on Chautauqua Lake, obviously, which is sort of southern to your New York, uh, all the way over, almost even close to the border of Pennsylvania. And when you walk through Chautauqua Institute, you feel as though you're on a movie set. I mean, the houses are all very unique and I wasn't going to say small, I was almost going to say small, but I wouldn't even say small. Some of them are giant houses, to be honest with you, but they all have these really unique architecture sort of, I don't know, perks to them where it feels like you are walking down, again, I guess the set of a movie, but it's a real community where people really live, yet for these six or eight or ten weeks a year, it's open to the public, so it's private except for these, like, 10 weeks a year, and that's where the Institute part comes in. Because this little gated community has within it its own restaurants, its own, um, like, uh, sort of entertainment, you know, division, I guess. And for these 10 weeks, they open it up to the public and they start to bring in bigger acts. And they have, like, Sheryl Crow play there. And, like I mentioned, we went to see Jay Leno Friday night. And they'll bring in actual, like, national touring acts to play at the amphitheater in this little gated community that is a private community, what, 42 weeks a year that you couldn't get into unless you lived there and had a pass, but then these 10 weeks a year, they, like, actually allow the public in. So here's the thing. Excuse me. A cup of coffee. You can go and walk through this gated community anytime you want during this 10-week period. Again, you can't do it outside of the 10 weeks, but during this 10-week period, you can go walk through... And it costs like 10 or 12 bucks, literally just to go inside this gated community and walk around. They've got stores, you know, little bookstores and gift shops and things like that. Then, you know, the amphitheater ticket for whatever act is playing that night, and I'm pretty sure they have something almost every night during these 10 weeks. And some of the nights are very, very small, more like, you know, just a, it might be like a musician or a violin player or something. and. And then, you know, the one night a week, I think it's always Friday nights, they bring in something bigger and they attract more of an outside public uh, to come in. And, and, and again, tickets on sale to the public. Anybody can walk in. I mean, I walked into the Chicago Institute Friday night. I don't belong there. I don't live in the gated community. But it's really interesting. And then you start looking up the values of homes in this little place. And the little houses, the tiny ones, start at like a million dollars to live in this little institute. And I guess they describe themselves as like a gated community for those who are interested in fine arts and further education. It's almost like independent learning and studying. It's like if you study for fun, <laughs> if, if what you consider to be fun is just reading and learning this is where you should go live. Tons of little private areas to go practice your music and read and just unbelievable little gated community. So we go to see Jay Leno Friday night. And uh, I was looking forward to it. I mean, Jay Leno was the host of The Tonight Show for the most of my life. So he's what I knew, you know, I mean, Johnny Carson, when I was a little kid, my mother loved The Tonight Show. My mother used to I, I, You know, my grandfather, too. I, I would hear about Johnny Carson and then, obviously, Jay Leno then for years and years. And then even when I got into radio, it was Jay Leno. And we would pull these comedy clips and play them on the air on the Brother Wee's show. And for the first few years, it was always Jay Leno. You know, it was the Tonight Show. So I was interested. And plus, my old friend, Billy DeTori from the Brother Wee's show, he said really great things about Jay Leno. He had said that Jay Leno was a fantastic stand-up comedian. And I think he's such a pure stand-up comedian that I remember hearing this even back when he was on The Tonight Show, that he would go on weekends and still perform stand-up comedy. And there's no way in the world he needed to do that. If you're hosting The Tonight Show, I gotta think you're making a good living. It wasn't a financial thing for him. He just loves stand-up comedy and is still touring around. My cousin saw him earlier in the day being well, not too much earlier, like an hour or so before showtime on a golf cart and all denim, you know that's his thing. He's a denim jeans guy, loves cars, etc. but came out on stage in a suit, uh, did a fantastic hour and 20 minutes, I would say. a lot of a uh, lot of quick jokes, you know, I'd say the beginning was a lot of peppering, just a lot of like you know ba-doom-ch, 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 for probably 45 minutes. Then I'd say he did about 15, 20 minutes worth of stories, probably told about three, four stories. Um, not really any Tonight Show stories. He more just told stories about uh, his life, his wife, you know, it was kind of, that was, that was, he, I think he did a thing where he said, nobody, people always ask me why I don't make more jokes about my wife. He said, I can't make jokes about my wife. I have to live with her. I'll tell you stories about my wife. <laughs> and then he did a few of those. And then he did jokes to go at the end. His last few minutes, he said, let me give you some jokes to go. He said it was a COVID thing. He said he developed this during COVID. He says, I'm going to give you jokes that you can go back and use in your workplace. And you can claim that they're yours. And, and, and you know, it's jokes to go. Here's a, Here you go. Here's the value of your ticket. You can go be the funny guy at work on Monday morning. <laughs> and, so, and then he did about 10 jokes that were all anywhere between like 30 seconds and a minute long. And uh, And I don't remember most. I remember a couple of them. I'll give you what I can remember. See, I don't know how this will translate over the podcast, but... Um, okay, so joke number one that I remember. <clears throat> I don't want to screw this up. Uh, guy's married. Married to his wife for 30 years. 30 years into the marriage, she dies. Very sad, very uh, unfortunate. She dies. They go to the funeral home. Uh, the funeral happens. They close the casket. The pallbearers gather around the casket, and they are slowly carrying her out of the church. On their way to the cemetery, and they go around this particular corner and they just happen to bump the casket into the corner a little bit. And from inside the casket, you hear, ooh! And everybody says, oh my God, and they, they put the casket down, and they open it up, and, and she's alive, she's alive in there, and it's unbelievable, and it's a miracle, and, and she gets up out of the casket, and, and she lives another 20 years, 20 more years she lives, it's 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 just this, it's this unbelievable miracle, it's crazy, and and you know, unfortunately, 20 years later, she, she passes away again, and this time for real, and they go to the f- same funeral home even, the same church, most of the same pallbearers, and and, uh, you know, it's the end of the funeral and they close the casket and the pallbearers are walking the casket out of the church and they they come up on that same corner they came up on 20 years ago. And the husband really quick peeps up and says, hey, guys, guys, watch out for that corner there. And uh, <laughs> I can't tell a joke like Jay Leno. Uh, OK, let me try to do the other one. This one's a little darker. I don't like this one so much, but I remember it. So I'll tell it to you. Um, a lawyer comes out of his office. He sees a homeless guy in the front lawn of his office. And the homeless guy is on all fours and he's eating grass. And the lawyer says, what are you doing? And the homeless guy says, I'm starving. I'm eating grass. It's my only option. And the lawyer says, that's, that, who are these people? And there's a woman there. And he says, that's my wife. And she's on all fours and she's eating grass. And there's two little kids there. They're kids. They're there. They're on their all fours. They're eating grass. That's all they have. They've got no food. And the lawyer says, this is unacceptable. Get in my car. Come on, let's go. So they all get in his Mercedes, and they start driving away, and the homeless man says to the lawyer, he says, where are we going? And the lawyer says, we're going to my house. The grass is way overgrown. We need you there. (laughs) Sorry, let's move on with this stupid podcast. We're going downhill fast here, ladies and gentlemen. I mentioned I have people coming over for breakfast. We have these neighbors, um, this beautiful, such cute little old couple who live few houses around the corner from us, and uh, my wife has become really good friends with them, and me too, I guess, but my wife more so, and uh, they love Leo, and they're moving to Chicago because they have a couple of kids who have grandchildren, and they want to go be near their grandchildren, right? They They're from Rochester. They raised their kids here their whole life, but both of their children now have moved to Chicago, and they've got these grandchildren in Chicago, and they're looking at their life here in Rochester, and they're going, look... We're from Rochester, but at this point, and I completely agree with the sentiment, home is where the heart is, not where your physical, structured house is. So they've decided to move to Chicago to be near their grandchildren, which I think is is the right move. I think it's smart. I could see myself doing the same thing. So they leave on Friday. It's been a long ordeal, right? They sold their house, and it's like two, three months until closing. So we've been kind of waiting for closing here and we're having them over for breakfast this morning one last time and they're an old couple who are uh, vegan they're vegan which is fun i love vegans um i am um, no i'm not being sarcastic i really do i think i listen i'm in the worst shape of my life but like i'm talking about vegans so i can i don't feel like i can preach on any of this shit but vegans got it right i mean if you watch forks over knives any documentary on Food and diet and stuff like that. I mean, you can't argue with a vegan because people will try to. People will say, oh, where am I going to get my protein, bro? I can't get my protein. For-. Yes, you can. You actually get all the protein you need from vegetables, from a vegan diet. You don't need any supplements, not a single supplement. You can live an extremely healthy life. Anyway, does throw a little curveball, though, when you're cooking for the vegans because you got a lot of stuff you can't use. So I cheated, and yesterday... I went to a place I had never heard of, but I will go back, called Holly Cake. Oh, I want to get it right. If I'm going to give her a plug on this podcast, I want to make sure I say it right. It's in East Rochester, and it is called mm, Holly Cake House. Yep, in East Rochester. And it's a vegan bakery, and looked like a little lunch kind of sandwich place as well. And uh, went in there yesterday completely blind, sight unseen. Simply Googled vegan bakery, Rochester, New York went in and had an absolutely wonderful experience. They had amazing-looking pastries. I got a few scones for today, a couple cinnamon rolls, and uh, we, Leo and I bought a cookie. It was just me and Leo at the time. Yesterday morning, we had a beautiful Leo Daddy Day. We went to Charbroil for breakfast, and then we went to uh, this Holly Cake House, stopped at Target, went to Redbird Market to visit Mommy and Grandma. They were very busy yesterday. That was beautiful to see. Uh, but this Holly Cake House about these pastries. I can't wait to eat these for breakfast. We bought one cookie because Leo was pointing at the cookie, saying, "I want that. I want that." And I was like, "Yeah, I want to try a, want to try a vegan cookie." I listen. I'm telling you right here, right now. Fantastic cookie. If you had no idea that that cookie was vegan, you would never guess that it was a vegan cookie. It was so good. That's what people sleep on. People hear vegan and they think salad every day, all day. Now, people sleep on how much good shit that vegans have come up with, man. I mean, think about what I told you, scones, cinnamon rolls. I mean, it's all good stuff. They just skip a couple of ingredients. They find alternatives. It can be done. It's beautiful. Delicious. So they're coming over for breakfast this morning. So I'm excited about that. Got some fresh squeezed orange juice as well. A little fruit tray. It gets me thinking about food again, and I want to follow up on something from last week, which was uh, I catered to that event, you know, last weekend. Did my podcast, talked about it. Mark Seawick, the the gentleman who owned the home, did a beautiful Facebook post, had a bunch of pictures that were just fantastic, and really gave us a nice little... Anyway, long story short, I have five between my voicemail, my email my Facebook messages. I have five messages right now from people trying to book me for catering. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? This is tough. This is my addiction. Work is my addiction. How am I going to not, you know, what do I do? I don't have time. I can't do five gigs. And the problem is, have you ever heard of, there's a term for it, now I'm blanking on it, but has some, it's it's the problem with my first business with googly almost sauce has always been something along the lines of over dependency on the owner's likeness but i think there's a better i think there's a better way of saying that or an officially accepted term but essentially what it means is when a, when the success of a business or a product is predicated so much on the identity of the owner who the owner is the founder right it's it's like the business is successful but it's only successful because that person is the face of it i've kind of had that issue with guglielmo's because you know guglielmo's is our name and the um well, there's like a little tiny airplane going by above head like a little baby airplane hmm. um it's just it's tied so directly to you know, me and my grandfather and that story and everything, and it would be hard to separate from that. So I don't think that company ultimately can ever be worth a lot of money because of that. Now, that being said, also, uh, the same thing with the catering business. These people want to hire me to cater. That's great. The business part of me says, this is fantastic. Let's start a little catering division, hire a couple of people and start pumping out some catering gigs. Like, let's do this. And I don't think I can get away with that. I feel like, this is so tough for me to say because I'm I'm trying to be humble about this, but I think it's, I think they want me, right? Like, I don't think I can get away with taking one of these gigs. Like, let's say I book a gig and then I send a crew. Even if they nail it and it's fantastic, I still feel like part of the gig is that I go there and do the spiel. Because there's a spiel involved in catering. The food is certainly a big part of it. I think when you cater, when you go to someone's home, and we should we should also say what we're talking about. This is a very specific type of catering. This is not 300-person weddings. We're talking here about, you know, we're talking about 8, 10, 12 people for a house party would be the type of gigs that I'm getting reached out for right now. And if I were to send a crew, even if the food was great, it's maybe like half, maybe 75% of the job to make sure the food is great. The other 25% maybe is service, but the other 25% is just the bells and whistles, which include a lot of coming out to the table, doing a little bit of entertainment, but also just telling them about the dishes and just kind of delivering it in a high energy, fun way. I don't, I don't know quite exactly how to explain it or how to put my finger on it, but there's something about it where I feel like if I took these gigs and then I assembled a crew and I sent them, and I didn't go, that it would be a complaint. That it would be that I didn't do the job. That they hired me, even though the gig still went well. Do you know what I mean? Am I way off base? Maybe I'm way off base. I don't know. So i got to figure that out, because it's really hard for me to see an opportunity and not seize it. You know, when I see something like that, and I'm going, man, I'm getting these phone calls. Man, people want, you know, people are interested in bringing in a caterer, and I'm on the list right now. It's tough for me to leave that on the table. It's just tough. Love your advice. Anybody want to start a catering company with me? I don't have time. You have to do everything, but I'll do it. I can't actually do anything. (laughs) God. God, do I want to get into something heavy now? I have on my list of topics I wanted to talk about. First of all, I I should say for sure my absolute condolences going out to the family of Officer Tony Mazurkiewicz, who passed away after being shot in the line of duty this week in Rochester. Uh, Also, Officer Sino Tseng, who was shot and, and it sounds like he's going to be okay believe there was also a third shooting victim there that night, a female who I don't think we know much about, but I I do believe we've been told is going to be okay. I don't think we know much about the exact circumstances, perhaps an ambush of some kind. Who knows if we'll ever know the full and complete story. They have caught the guy, and that's great. Um, Really, really difficult, because I think the thing that every single person no matter how conservative how liberal you are where you fall in the political spectrum and you'll find this you'll find everybody you'll find the people who are saying bring in the National Guard and you'll find the people who are saying abolish the police right and everything in between I think the thing that all of them have to admit first is that the answer to this is not easy And beyond it not being easy, nobody knows what the answer is. And when I say the answer, I'm talking about the answer to how do we stop violence? I think we have to face the fact that we don't know how. Because if we knew how, if there was an answer, if there was a thing that could be done, a one single thing that could be done that would stop the violence, ladies and gentlemen, I have to believe we are good enough people that we do it. We would just do it. If there was just an obvious, here's the button to press, and when you press that button, violence stops, I have to believe 99.999% of human beings would say, oh, well, just press the button then. Problem is, none of these ideas are foolproof. Everything has flaws, and none of it is going to work and completely stop anything. And what keeps happening is, we keep on going back and forth between incidents of Cops harming citizens and citizens harming cops. And every time it happens, one side of the political spectrum points and says, See? There's an example of why we can't do what your side of the political spectrum wants us to do. And we just keep going in a circle. And nothing gets accomplished and nothing gets fixed. And if you tuned into this podcast this morning thinking it's going to get accomplished or fixed, I have really bad news for you because I do not know the answer either. If I did, if I had the button that you could press, I'd say, let's press it. But you can't. But let's talk about something we've talked about before on this podcast that I saw happen that just needs to stop happening. This is real. These are real people. This is a real family who is suffering a real tragedy. And when this happens, and something this sad and awful happens, any shooting victim whatsoever, and it plays into your political argument in some way, shape, or form, shame on you for spiking the football in that moment. Shame on you. You have got to leave room for victims to grieve and immediately jumping to, um, immediately jumping to, see, this is why my political argument's the better argument, because look at the, and then starting those angry, completely useless, inefficient Facebook and Twitter threads, where everyone just starts yelling at everyone, bad. You know, one of the smartest, I think, best things to happen in Rochester, New York, in the past couple of decades has been rachel barnhart i think that she does the work i think that she uh i think that if you read through her material and and she's really great on twitter and that's where i follow her but she'll put a lot of her thoughts out and um, a lot of material out on twitter just a lot you, you can learn a ton about her just by following her on twitter and um seen many a post from her that I've thought to myself was a great post and thought well good for you Rachel that's fantastic I'm glad that you've posted that but there was an article the DNC did and it was something about a guy who couldn't get back to his house because the police had the scene blocked where the police shooting was and I think the idea of the story was to say hey you know they don't go to this kind of an effort when a citizen gets shot and killed Why is there all this extra effort being put into a police officer getting shot and killed? I thought running that story was pretty distasteful. Rachel, of course, is where I heard about it. She retweeted it on Twitter. And uh, underneath her post, what you will always see in the comments, is angry people who disagree with her. You'll always see that. You'll always see it. And, you know, each and every issue is different individual and and it is what it is this particular issue when she retweeted that story what you saw underneath it was slightly different though and i thought this was fascinating what you saw underneath it was a lot of the same type of comment and the same and the comments were something along these lines <clears throat> rachel comma don't period stop period not now period bad timing period right just a lot of people saying please please and and i guess in this case poor poor rachel unfortunately is being individualized as like the face of the left right and it's like okay but in general we're saying to the left in this situation is hey guys this doesn't look good for most of the things you're talking about this is bad for things like bail reform and blah, 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 right? Now there's a statistic going around on Twitter about how bad crime has gotten since bail reform. It's not a good time right now to make your liberal arguments. Uh, And I think what we're saying is you have good arguments. I I think you do. And I guess I paint myself in the middle on these kind of things, which is convenient, I get it. Most people who don't want to be held accountable to anything, say, well, I'm just in the middle politically, but I don't know. I kind of feel like I am. I feel like if your stuff was perfect, if the left stuff was perfect, if it was absolutely untouchable, just perfect, then it would be working, and it would be working perfectly. But it's not because nothing's perfect. Hold on a second. My dog. What's going on, Oxford. What's going on, buddy? Hold on one second. My dog is whimpering. What are you doing, dude? You stuck? Oh, he's stuck on a bush. Hold on. Putting the mic down for ten seconds. Oxford's stuck on a bush. I'm sorry. (sighs) Where was I? Yeah, he got... I don't know. He was running around the backyard, and he kind of got, like, his... His long... He's got this really long leash that lets him run around the whole backyard, and I guess he just kind of got... Twisted around a bush a few times and he had no slack left, and so he started. Poor buddy. Hey, what was I saying? Um, Oh, yes, I know where I was going with this. So, the left, the right, they both have their arguments, and uh, neither one of them are perfect. Neither one of them are working. You know, where's the answer? The problem is we don't know where the answer is. A lot of times politically you can say, well, the answer is somewhere in the middle. It probably is somewhere in the middle, but unfortunately, we don't know where it is. We don't know what the answer is. All we know is the extreme left, the extreme right. Neither one is really working. Violence is rampant. It's no good. So when something happens like this, and it is an absolute dagger to many of your arguments, you got to just take a knee. you just got to take... It is not the time to dig in on your arguments. Just take a knee. Take the loss. You're going to give up a touchdown once in a while. It doesn't all have to be some big political battle and game that you can't allow a few points to get scored on your team once in a while. I think you'd get further in being compassionate and, and, and being willing to come to the table and say... Our argument isn't perfect we admit that if you are also willing to admit that about your argument how can we combine our two arguments to get to a better ending oh but then you just see it you see it all over social media people just you know the people who think that this is proving their argument right they start spiking the football meanwhile People who think that this was a dagger to their argument, they start just scrapping and just, you know, they're 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 essentially just grasping at straws, trying to get something from their argument that, that's, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, but still, but still this. Look at this. This guy couldn't even get home. See that? This guy couldn't get home. So this is, this is still it's just awful. It's just awful. What's going on? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you doing? Stop. Just stop. <laughs> Just stop. Why can't we all just get along? Oh god. Alright, let's go to something a little bit lighter. <clears throat> let's go to why people leave their jobs. Yes. So there was a study that just came out. Oh, by the way, I'm not gonna spend any time on this, don't worry. Vince McMahon retiring from WWE. I think will be very good for pro wrestling. I just, the reason I even say that is because I'm scrolling through my Twitter right now trying to get to that art, trying to get to that thing, that um, <clears throat> study I just found about why people leave their jobs. And I see this thing about Vince McMahon retiring. Great. It's great for the business. I think it really is. It's going to be great for, for, uh, for creative. Okay. So, number one reason people left jobs between the year 2021 and 2022. Number one reason, what do you think it was? Not pay. Was not pay. What do you think it was? I'll take a sip of coffee. According to a recent study by McKinsey & Company, the number one people number one reason people left their jobs between 2021 and 2022 was a lack of career development and advancement. Next few reasons, inadequate total compensation, so that's number 2, uncaring uninspiring leaders, lack of meaningful work, unsustainable work expectations, might as well just reach in the next few. This is all in order, by the way. Unrelatable and unsupportive people at work, lack of workplace flexibility, lack of support for health and well-being, non-inclusive and unwelcoming community, geographic ties and travel demands, unsafe workplace environment, and inadequate resource accessibility. Round out the top. I think that was 10 or 12 or so reasons, but pay is the number two reason people leave jobs. Lack of advancement and opportunity is the number one reason people leave jobs. Ladies and gentlemen, I buy it. Do you want to know why I buy it? Because it's the exact reason I left a 15-year career. I got paid like shit the entire time. I'd still be getting paid like shit. But if I had been given an opportunity that I had asked for over and over and, quite frankly, been promised over and over, I would probably still be there. Probably the thing I owe my past career to the most in my current management style is I feel like I have all of my employees in a spot where they and I have talked about and have an understanding of what they are doing, what their expectations are, and what their future expectations are. What road are they on? Where do they want to be? What do they want to be doing long term I feel like we've created a really good roadmap for each employee and I feel as though every six months or so when we do a review that I'm able to tell them here's where I think you are on that road do you agree or disagree and then we take that next if you agree great what are we going to do to keep you down the road if you disagree okay where's our disconnect let's get on the same page and get back on this road Okay. Compensation being number two is interesting because I think we're heading into a recession. Pretty sure we're heading into a recession. In fact, anybody that knows what they're talking about will tell you we are heading into a recession. So what's going to happen? What does recession mean? Well, recession means in general, right? Consumer spending kind of slows down, which uh, means that... um, demand slows down and if demand slows down, supply goes up. And in in theory, what it should do is it should either stop or even reverse a portion of the inflation we've been seeing, which is good. That's a good thing. Um, but what it won't do well will it will hurt the workforce because you're talking about layoffs. Now you may already say, Well what are you talking about layoffs? People can't find workers to begin with. Well that's somewhat true, but it's also been an employees job economy for a while now. A job market catered towards employees, recession will flip that and be more of an employer's job market, which I, as an employer, am happy about because it is true that it's not incredibly easy to find employees right now, and this should bring more your way. But anyway, where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is transparency from leadership in companies is more important than ever. This is why people are leaving jobs. Your door as a boss, I'm only two years in, I don't know, I think a year from now I'll listen back on this podcast and I'll say, and I'll, and I'll cringe and I'll say, what, what did that guy think he knew? And hopefully 20 years from now I'll listen back on this and I'll go, oh my God, how did I think I was qualified to give advice? I'm aware of all that, but I'll say this. I think th- your door has to always be open, for one, and every employee deserves the honest God truth from you in regards to where they stand on their career path. You have got to be transparent with your people. Thank you for listening. Let's talk next week.